This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And before we get into this week's episode, I, I have to admit a fail, uh, something that um, actually really bothers me. I've, I feel really bad about this. But so for several months, I've been saying that I have a lot of banked interviews and that it'll carry us for several months that will, you know, we're good. We got a lot of content to put out there. And this is true throughout the month of sort of like mid-October to mid, actually closer into early parts of December. I, there was a period of time where I was interviewing like four or five people a week. So I have quite a few interviews banked. But because that wasn't my typical routine, I wasn't doing my normal process. Basically, after I do a Skype interview with my guests, I instantly download it into a file with their name on it. I check it to make sure that it sounds like, or at least that it recorded. And then it's just banked until that person's episode is time to pull up and then I start editing. But because it had gotten pretty chaotic during this time, for, for whatever reason, and it was a good problem to have, I was not working hard to find guests. People were finding me and sending me messages like crazy. And so I was trying to capitalize on people's interests right when they express them. And that's how I ended up doing like four or five interviews a week sometimes. And then I got a little bit overwhelmed because it was it was a lot. I, I work a full time job. I edit and produce three different podcasts a week. And and then on top of it, trying to squeeze in four or five interviews every week was, was it was a tough time. So I wasn't doing my normal process. And as a result, I didn't verify that every interview I recorded actually successfully recorded or sounded OK. And I didn't know. So I've sat on a couple of these interviews of knowing I was going to put them in February because I do have mine kind of scheduled out a couple months unless something comes up and then I swap it. So here's the thing. What happened? I was planning. I have three interviews that disappeared or are corrupt or bad quality or never recorded. And they've all been contacted. They're aware of it now. And I'm trying to schedule re-recordings of these of these interviews. But what happened was that I was planning on holding these out until February for Black History Month. Even though primarily a lot of my guests are a mixed Black uh, of some sort, I wanted to make sure that every episode in February was a mixed Black person. And then I was going to do, at the beginning of every episode, I was going to do something in relation to Black History Month that may be connected to the episode in some way, shape, or form. So the people that I had scheduled for, t- for today, February 5th, February 12th, and February 19th, all three of those interviews either didn't save, didn't record, are corrupted files or something like that, and I can't gain access to them. And they were all recorded in the same week. So I'm thinking that that was the same week that we had this uh, software update thing, and that maybe it, my, my update was corrupted or something like that, because I did eventually reinstall this update. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that because these three interviews happened that week, that's when theirs were corrupted. So I'm really bummed because they were really great interviews and there was a reason each one had a particular thing about them that was why I was saving them for February. Uh, Besides the fact they were mixed with black people, there was maybe themes, quote unquote themes to each episode that was important. (sighs) So with that being said, the people have been notified. I'm trying to reschedule those interviews, but we haven't managed to do it yet. And so because of that, I have to pull for my other banked interviews. And I realized, and this is somehow, this is actually really surprising to me. Of my remaining banked interviews, I no longer have any more mixed black people. I must have kind of heavily loaded the show previous to this week uh, with mixed black folks. And and that's mostly because that's most of the people who contact me. And and so if you're not familiar or if you're not from the United States, you may not even realize this. I didn't realize this until I started doing the show that primarily when you use the word mixed here in the States, people automatically assume you mean some kind of mixed black. And so primarily the people who contact me are mixed black people. And I do have to do a little bit harder work to try to find non-black mixed folks to come on the show, or at least to let them know that the show exists or that the show is also for them. Usually when I contact or come in contact with a mixed person who is of non-black heritage, they always let me know that they're not black and they wonder if that means it's okay for them to be on the show. And then I have to explain to them that to me, or at least my purposes, mixed means any combination of intersectional race, ethnicity, culture, you know, makes you mixed. If you come from something that's not monoracial, 
you're mixed. And and so uh, it's usually a little bit extra work to get a non-black mixed person to come onto the show. Uh, that's all I got right now. <laughs> Of my remaining episode of my remaining interviews that are banked, it turns out that almost everybody that I have is of non-black mix. So, um, except for a few that are pending, uh, we're waiting for schedule opportunities and things like that. So that means that I'm going to be certainly starting February off with non-black mix folks. Um, but I will try to either re-record those interviews with the folks I had initially planned or schedule new ones so that I can use that theme that I was going to do for Black History Month. So yeah, it's, uh, here's the thing. And I hope I don't bum everybody out with this particular intro, especially because I really enjoyed the interview that I'm capping on the end of this. Um, Sorry. Sorry, Mike, if I sound sad in the beginning. It's really bummed me out that I didn't get to do uh, what I had planned. I'm really disappointed that I didn't know that an error that happened in October, I didn't catch until now. You know, I'm really disappointed in myself over that. And as a mixed Japanese, um, disappointment is the worst kind of punishment that you can experience. It really sucks to be a disappointment. And um, I feel like I'm disappointing the people who I've interviewed and I disappoint my guests or I disappoint my audience and things like that by not being able to do this. So, and then I disappoint myself. Um, and since I suffer from depression, it's easy to slip into these spirals of depression because of that. I've been kind of fighting it off all week because I've been so upset about this, but I'm trying, I'm trying to just focus on the thing and get back into my routine. That's the thing. So because I had gotten overwhelmed back then, I've stopped allowing myself to overload my week with interviews pace them out now, explain to the people who are interested in participating. Because usually once somebody sets me up, they're like excited. They want to participate right now. So I'm pacing that out so I don't make that mistake and making sure that I follow my process. Do the interview, download the interview, check the interview, put it on my hard drive, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, at least it's a lesson learned. I can learn something from it. I'm just really bummed about it. And I guess I'll just leave it at that. Hopefully I can reconnect with these people in a timely fashion so we can get their interviews up. But if it's not timely and they're still willing to come on the show, I'll get their their interviews up in, in the future. And then I'll note who they were and why I'm bummed that I didn't get to do them when I wanted to. Because, you know, I'm hella transparent. I just tell you guys all the fuck ups that I do. But anyways, okay. I'll try to move on from there. So next week, we'll see what happens. As of right now, I know who I'm going to put on if I don't get to record these other uh, interviews. Uh, They're also aware of it. I've told them, like, this is the week you'll be on unless blah, blah, blah happens and stuff like that. So we'll see. So right now, I won't announce what's going on next week, but um, we will switch over to what's going on this week. So my guest this week, damn, I'm only, I'm already eight minutes in. Okay. So my guest this week is actually someone I don't know in meat space, but I do know in cyberspace. Uh, I am a frequent guest on the show why So Serious, which is a podcast, a geek nerd podcast, which is hosted by uh, Brandon Carr, Devin Carr, his cousin, and our guest today, Mike Hassoun. Uh, Mike is a half a bit. He is half white, half Arabic. And I'm the one who calls him that because when I was introduced to him, I was introduced to him as white Mike. And in the course of our conversation, because he realized I was mixed, he let me know, well, actually, I'm half Arabic. And I called him half a bit and he had never heard this term before. It's what I call my husband. My husband is uh, half German, half Palestinian. Palestinian, and so I call him Havabic because we always like mashup words. I'm black and he's, he's Havabic. So I call Mike this and he loves it. Now he uses it. And in the course of our sort of building a relationship through guesting on their podcast, I've asked him to come on the show and he was down for it. It was a fun interview and it actually was one that I recorded just last week. And so I am kind of moving it ahead of some of the other ones I have banked because it's the one that's giving me feels right now because I was so bummed out about what happened. I want to put up something that kind of gives me a little bit of joy. And it was fun to talk to to Mike. A couple reasons. Um, one, I'm always making fun of him for being younger than me as if that's even a thing of important. I'm like twice his age. Um, he's in his early 20s. I'm in my early 40s. And there's things he says when we're on Why So Serious that makes me realize that I'm that much older. And yet we share this, you know, huge thing in common. Our geekdom is very similar. So it's it's just funny. I, I enjoy kind of messing with them a little bit on the show. And that's what Why So Serious is. It's pretty much just a bunch of people that just cap on each other all day long, which is why I enjoy it so much. But this was the first time that we talked, just the two of us, and we talked about mixedness, which is my favorite subject to talk about. And it was interesting hearing his perspective. In a lot of cases of the mixed white and Arabic people that I know, he has a very similar situation in which he kind of presents white if you're not paying that close attention. Um, If you are paying a little closer attention, you're like, oh, there's something else going on there, which is exactly the experience I had with my husband when we met as uh, teenagers. And uh, but if he's in the sun, you know, he tans up and you're like, oh, you're definitely not just white. 
or if he grows a beard <laughs> or something like that, you're like, oh, there's definitely something else going on like that. And so Mike had this very similar experience of, of something that I kind of had a background in. And it was fun to meet somebody that, you know, I didn't know that I haven't known for years that have had a very similar experience to, to my husband. Uh, so it's interesting. I, I enjoyed it. And, and it's fun. And he's sweet. And also, um, I don't know if we talked about it before the interview or after, but he just recently came back from a trip to the Grand Cayman Islands, a diving trip in which he brought a Aquaman trident with him to the trip. And part of his diving is a whole bunch of pictures of him holding the trident underwater, which I just think is fucking adorable. I really love Mike. I think he's I think he's sweet. So um, I'm going to turn it over to our discussion about being a mixed Italian uh, Lebanese, and it was a lot of fun. Before I do that, though, as you know, Militantly Mixed is a fan-sponsored podcast, and with your donations, it really does help keep us going and growing. Uh, we have two options for sponsoring. The first is patreon.com, where you can sponsor on a monthly basis, and there are different rewards depending on which level you sponsor at. With, with uh, Patreon, that primarily helps keep us on air. It helps pay for the hosting fees, uh, the website, the email accounts, and all that other kind of stuff. So that uh, that really does help keep us going. The keep us growing portion that I always say is really the paypal.me uh, slash militantly mix. Those are the one-time on- only donations or, you know, you're not obligated to keep it up every month. But when we get donations there, those are the ones that help me with immediate needs like increase uh, improving the equipment or, you know, maybe placing an ad to try to get a broader footprint. Uh, Because the thing is, while we are growing, it would be really nice to have uh, a larger footprint because every time I meet a new mixed price person who has heard the show, their need for hearing something like this is so heavy that I'm just thinking of all the other people in the world who do feel the same way, but don't know that we exist. And that's really primarily why I am so constant on mentioning the, the sponsorship. Uh, I would, of course, do it myself if I made enough money um, to be able to do it. And I do use my own funds to keep us um, to keep us going. But it really does help when people get involved. And I'm usually really pretty overwhelmed by the donations that we get. I'm I'm shocked that people care enough to to support us. And at the same time, I know that it's uh, without that support, I wouldn't be able to move as fast as, as I have been. And and so I'm definitely grateful. I don't mean to sound ungrateful when I said like, we know more though. <laughs> I, I just mean it in terms of like, if I could share the initial contacts that I get from people who hear the show for the first time, and I do sometimes, sometimes I do it anonymously, sometimes they allow me to share, but the amount of emotion that I get from first time contacts with people is such Oh gosh, it's just it's such a big deal for me. I I I don't know. It it's it's a heavy but good burden to carry if if that's a way to say it. Um I feel such a responsibility now to other mixed race people to make sure that I continue to produce content that will support them, make them feel represented, uh reflect their stories back at them or share their own personal stories if they're willing to do that. And I have several people who I'm in contact with who aren't willing to actually come on the show, but they just stay in contact with me. And this is an amazing aspect of doing the show. And it, it it's a life-giving aspect of doing the show. And I will hold and carry this responsibility for as long as I am capable of doing it um, and hopefully be able to pass it on to somebody else if I get incapable <laughs> of doing it. So yeah, I the sponsorship really, really does help keep us growing and it, it helps other people. It's, it's a therapeutic thing. I can't say it enough. I know that I talk about my mental health a lot on the show. Um, but it's not a joke. It's a, it's a serious thing. When you read the context that I, that I get initially, you know that what they've heard has helped their mental health in some way, shape or form because they needed to feel seen or represented. It's always something that they've heard on an episode, which is the first line in the message they send me almost always. It's, it's actually kind of crazy how similar people's responses are when they've heard an episode that connects it to them. So with that in mind, that's why I keep up every week's saying uh, how important it is to sponsor because it really, really does help. And, you know, eventually if I'm able to uh, make this my primary function, you know, just being a, a podcaster full time, that that's my outreach is about helping uh, mixed race people feel normal in their world um, because I, I needed it. 
And that's why I tried to create it. Yeah, I think that's good. Let's move on uh, to this week's guest. I've talked a little bit about Mike. If, you, if you've if you heard me mention the Why So Series podcast and, and Mocha Minutes and Single Simulcast, I'm usually on Why So Series with somebody from either of those shows. Uh, it's a great group of people. I absolutely love them. Um, not a one of them have I met in person, but you, you would think we were really close friends given how we cap on each other. And that is the best form of friendship. If you can't make fun of your friends, you're not friends. Um, so yeah, and um, and yeah. Let's do it. Help me welcome Mike Hassoum. Have a good night. All right. So my guest this week is Mike, a.k.a. Half a Bick. He, uh, which I, I named him that. He is a co-host on the show Why So Serious, which if you've heard some of the movie reviews that I've done for that show, that's how he and I met. And uh, when I first got involved with the show Why So Serious, they described Mike as White Mike. And then through conversation, Mike revealed he was half Arabic. And so I started calling him Half a Big Mike, like, because my husband's Half a Big also. So, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your background. So I, I am Mike. I'm from the Wise Series podcast. And let me just say, by the way, that ever since I never thought of half a bic as like a term, but I love it. And since <laughs> since we have had that initial conversation, however long ago that was, I, I like used that. all. So I stole that from you. I hope Excellent. you don't mind. I'm happy but I to use give that now. And and I love it. Um, so, yeah, I've been I was on I, I do the Why So Serious podcast and and it's we do like a lot of we're like nerd podcasts. So Hardcore a lot of podcasts. super. Yeah. Brandon describes me. I'm supposed to be the other host. Brandon describes me as like the I'm supposed to have all the information because I read all the comic books. But and you're a D.C. dude, right? Primarily. I mean, I love them all. I love them all. Um, but I do read a lot of D.C. I mean, Batman's my favorite superhero. So I'll read like a lot of Batman, but I don't dislike, I want both of them to do well. I can admit when DC makes a terrible movie. <laughs> I mean, can you, because you're pretty, you're pretty all up on that Aquaman. I liked Aquaman. Um, but that's, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, fine. I can admit when like Suicide Squad was terrible and Justice League was terrible. And, I liked certain scenes of Batman v Superman, but it was also, for the most part, it was pretty terrible. I think they were all not as bad as Venom was, though. I will say that. See, that surprised me that you guys are so hardcore against Venom. Um, it's not that I'm claiming that it, Venom was a good movie or anything like that, but I didn't hate it the way I hated Justice League or Batman v Superman or Wonder Woman. Like, it was okay. It was fine for what it was. And the same with Aquaman. Like, Aquaman has some moments that I enjoy, but overall, I can't give that movie full-on credit. All I can say is that it's, like, the best thing that DC has been able to put out in the last five years. No, I agree. But I, I don't know. It was, I think that's why people are loving it so much. It's just good. Not to just, not to stray from the the topic of the show but no that's fine we're geeks I think it's, that's it's, what we do. it's refreshing to see a dc movie do better than its predecessors so My i like favorite it. part about aquaman was just that they at least gave us an explanation that allowed us to understand him as a mixed race character you know at least for the sake of the movie whatever not for the sake of the uh of the books necessarily um i could have done without all of the half breeds and and mongrels <laughs> that they stra- <laughs> I was very sensitive as a mixed person when I when we were sitting in that movie, but um, but yeah, Momo is adorable. So what are you gonna do? True, and yeah. So I, I mean, I liked it. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about your your background and um, what was it like for you being little baby half a big Mike? So I'm half Lebanese. We are. Uh, I'm sure. You know, you know, we're it's a very small Middle Eastern country. Um, and growing up, honestly, I don't. So I'm younger than a lot. You know, most of you seem to like. Or we thought. like to pick on you for being half. At least you're at least about half my age. How old are you? Yeah, I'm 23. Okay, <laughs> I'm 24 so you're not quite half my age, but you're you're getting there. I was a full grown ass adult by the time you came around. Yeah, so I was born in '95. Um, <sighs> and I don't remember very much about pre I would say like first grade I think first grade is when I really started to remember things because 
uh, that was so life for me has been pretty like I won't lie. It's been pretty easy. Like, yeah, I have a good family. You know, I mean, my mom is Italian and my dad is full blown Lebanese. He was born there and he came here uh, when he was like 15 uh, to go to college he, or no, 16. He went to college early at the age of 16 uh, from the Middle East and he stayed here ever since. Um and he was the only one in his family to marry outside of the Lebanese group. Uh, they're very like I try to avoid the some like some of the stereotypes, but they're very clicky, um, like, you know, group of people. Yeah. And so me and my two sisters were born. We're the only ones on on, you know, that side of the family who are not 100 percent Lebanese. A lot of my cousins under, like know the language 100 percent. And I only learned about a half of it because my grandfather was teaching me before he died. Um, and they don't like have problems. Like they love us. You know, we, you know, no one like my, our family, they don't like shun us or anything, but I, you know, my mom said that she was kind of pushed aside, uh, at the early stages of their relationship. And I, my grandfather was very much the, like, you know, he liked the firstborn son thing, which I am, I'm the oldest and I'm a boy. So they, you know, and he, he put a lot of, he wanted me to like, he, he could like, he wanted me to have a dual citizenship and he wanted me to, you know, learn the language. And he was trying that, um, but growing up thing, like until nine 11, everything was pretty much the same and i remember i was in first grade when 9-11 happened so oh, not a lot gosh. of first graders yeah not a lot of first graders were like understanding what was going on in the world right but i one of the like and i don't remember very much about like my early childhood but i do remember a very distinct memory of we were going i think my whole family was going out to dinner and my two younger sisters one of them the youngest one is five years younger than me so she would have been like really young uh, and the middle one is like two years younger than me. And I was in first grade. So they I remember I don't remember what led to this conversation. But uh, my, my dad had turned around and my mom had turned around. We were at like a red light on our way to dinner. And they were like, hey, don't maybe don't talk about your uh, your Lebanese side. Like if anyone asks, just yeah, just just be Italian or French or something Just say. And we were confused. Yeah, we didn't know why. And I don't think they started. I remember they didn't start teaching about it in schools until I was maybe in like third or fourth grade. Um, and I remember they did like a whole presentation on 9-11 and people were older than in my, I mean, they're not old, but they're, you know, older than first grade. And they were, I think, I remember leaving like kind of depressed. I remember that too. Like there's a mm. few distinct memories um, that I can like very clearly remember happening. And I remember leaving and I was really bummed out like the rest of the day. I was like, that's so terrible. Why would this happen? Um, and Were you connecting that you had like an ethnic tie to the event in any way, shape or form? Like what was it about that that you think made you feel bummed out? Uh, it wasn't. I mean, it was probably half the the ethnic thing. But the other like the schools were kind of teaching like that. Not so much Al Qaeda or whatever or the terror. Like they were kind of I mean, they weren't explicitly saying this, but it kind of felt like that they were like putting it on the Muslims. And yeah, Lebanese Lebanon for the longest time was the only non-Christian. I mean, only non-Muslim uh, Middle Eastern country, which is changing now. So my dad was a I mean, he doesn't really practice, but he his family was Maronite Catholic and my, he converted from my mom. So but that didn't like growing like when people got older, no one no one really made that like no one made that difference. Like, yeah, because here snap. everybody's dumb and they think that yeah. just being Arab means Muslim and you couldn't possibly be any other religion. So, I mean, I didn't go through very much like not a lot of things bothered me growing up, even when people would like make fun of me because I always had pretty good friends. But I can draw on a few. I had a, I remember I had like a teacher who would uh, in high school. Actually, I was a freshman in high school at this point. So I'm 14 now. And the teacher would have been way older and he, he he called me like terrorist and that didn't like no I actually you know me in high school I was like this like I had a lot of friends in high school nothing really bothered me it didn't I told I, I told it to my mom as like a joke and she was really mad and I she was she's not even the and she called the school and then he was really pissed at me for the rest of the four years and I think he was my homeroom teacher senior year and it just got um, really dramatic my last name is Hassoon and it's not it is spelled pretty I think it's pretty easy to pronounce yeah it looks I get I get Hassan on a lot because it's O-U-N and I get that but mm. I a lot of kids and teachers will just be like Hussein are you in the room and I'm like yes oh, that's not I uh, see. very very different you know there's no U in there anywhere <laughs> uh, or an E right. or an I right um, you get a lot of that and they would you know so it wasn't like a I wasn't like 
picked on or attacked or like severely, severely like, you know, prejudiced against. I'm grateful for that. But I can always like there are small bits and pieces throughout my like upbringing that um, I can remember. And nowadays, like a lot of people, I don't get very much, much hate at all. I, like a lot of people just assume when they meet me that I'm Muslim. Um, they and do? They ask, yeah, a lot, like a lot of people at work. Fun fact, at work, I'm actually uh, heavily the minority. Um, I, I, there's not. I work in tech and in IT, and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of white people in tech. There's uh, there are a lot a lot of Indians, a lot of Asians, and a lot of Latinos, and I'm friends with a lot of them. And they they they're good people. Like they they asked, they, they were like, oh, when I met you, I assumed you were like Muslim. I'm like, oh, well, and I explained the difference. I wouldn't say it's a negative thing. Um, but it's it's being identified as what you yeah. are, though, versus whatever assumptions that they have that come along with their belief of what it is to be Muslim. Yeah. You're talking about that. It was, and on the plus side, I mean, not the plus side, but on the off, on the other hand, growing up with people who were, I like when I was in college, they like, there were groups, the, there were Middle Eastern kids on campus, but they, they would like section off into their own, like, groups based on their country and they didn't, they didn't care that I was half. They would always try it. Like there was a group of Saudi Arabian kids who were, uh, they were always very friendly with me and they were always trying to get me to like be with them and hang out with them. Oh, really? And, yeah. And it was nice. And they would invite me to cookouts. But they like, you know, I had a lot of different friends from a lot of different backgrounds. And, you know, I was I would try and like they didn't like they didn't want to mix. They wanted to just be with their own people, which I get. But also, like, I think part of the reason I like look at the rest of my family and I look at me is I, I like having the like the difference in uh, like culture because. And I, mm-hmm. another thing I remember is when I was in fifth grade, we do this thing every year where you pick a, one side of your nationality or ethnicity and you do a big presentation on it. And every kid, it's all on the same day and you wear clothes from that country and you bring food from that country and you set it up. And I looked at the list and so I'm half Italian and half Lebanese. So I have to pick one. So there's like 12 kids who are Italian. And then there's like a bunch of like Polish and a bunch of like, you know, and I'm like, there's no, there's no Lebanese on there. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'll be, I'll be the, the, Lebanese like that was always interesting to me because I had something else to bring to the table Um, because for the longest time the Italian half of me was the majority of the groups that I was in pretty much up until like when I was in college when I was in high school and pretty much up until work right now um, I've always been in the majority so it was was always nice to to have that like you know other half that I can draw on for um, and and we were a big hit on those days we had my mom would go my mom learned how to cook uh, Lebanese food for my dad because uh, he's not that great at cooking. Um, and she would make a big feast and we'd bring it in and people liked it and it was cool. And it was... Uh, it was what are some they, of your favorite uh, Lebanese foods? My favorite Lebanese food is kibbeh. It's, have you ever had it before? It's yeah, it's lamb. It's, it's lamb. They, they make it... In, there's footballs and then there's like... Oh, they, yes. I love those. Yeah, those are really good. You dip it in a nice yogurt sauce. You get a little tabbouleh on the side. You put it in some pita bread, um, grape leaves, baklava as a dessert. Like, I, I actually go... <laughs> When I meet a new girl and I like, you know, I'm, I'm dating a lot. Um, I usually always go to a, a Lebanese restaurant first because, you know. You got to make sure she can roll with the food wise. Yeah. And it, well, I, I actually my favorite restaurant is the chef is actually mixed race and he is half Spanish and half Lebanese. And he makes dishes um, that are t- like they're half Lebanese dishes and half oh, nice. Spanish dishes. And that's actually where I go. It's not too expensive. It's the food is fantastic. It's it's like mez. It's like appetizer style like you order a bunch um and it's always like it always works yeah yeah top that's exactly what it is i forgot what it's called so i always go there actually when i go on like first dates with people and it's always usually it's a big hit and like the food's fantastic and you get a little bit of you know because i like people i, I like talking about like that that culture because it's different it's always been different and i mean we're, we're lebanon is a small middle eastern country when you, you you don't like the lebanese are a like they're a very clicky group of people and so you don't it's 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 hard to like you know meet people who are also lebanese so when i meet people they're always like you know a lot of them have never even heard of lebanon which i found kind of hard to believe to be honest but yeah it's it is kind of weird when that when that kind of stuff happens yeah there's a lot of a lot of weird things about americans that that the culture has this hate towards the middle east and yet most of them couldn't name even five countries in the middle well you know what they think Uh, you know how many how this is ridiculous like 100% ridiculous when people meet me for the first time and they try to guess my nationality especially after I've been in the sun for a little bit the top two guesses every single time I get you want to know what they are it's Latino and Indian that's the same I swear it's like every episode (laughs) of this show that has 
anybody mix is like i usually get latinx <laughs> so you know some kind of latin latin in some way shape or form it's ridiculous i, I could kind of see the latin i do not see indian at all and like i don't i don't know where they get yeah that, that one's kind of strange because you like i was telling you earlier like you you look like if you're not trying too hard if you're just trying to do a snap judgment you're like yeah that's a white a white guy but yeah, when you like actually a- pay a little closer attention you're like but there's something else going on and like the the photo i'm looking at you right now you are a little bit darker in that photo but i've seen a variety of photos of you and sometimes you do look just like a a dude just a, a dude bro yeah, and sometimes I, you look like you're some kind of mix yeah it, it, it all depends on like my my hair gets lighter in the winter in the winter time but and i like it when it's dark that's like I, I think it's a very unique uh, color. Um, mm. I like having the dark. I, I got a lot of I got a lot of things from my mom and a lot of things from my dad, and I think it mixed pretty well. And I'm happy to have that. I actually like having like a like the like the dark skin tan and more. Um, I don't really know why. Same. I just I feel like it, being darker too. Yeah, it looks more. It looks more like exotic. More like. Oh no! Like, you said the word. Don't well, say I don't mean it. That. I meant like <laughs> it looks more like. I like being like the outlier in a group of people. I got it. Because you always have something interesting to bring, like, conversationally or, like, that's why. Like, I don't know how I don't know how I would class myself as being good on a date. But if I bring somebody to, like, that restaurant, I have a lot I can talk about right off the bat because I know the food and, and, you know, I know the culture. And I like the Lebanese, actually, they they, they party pretty hard, too. They have, like, these Hufflies and they they do the, the big parties and they're all night and they celebrate um and it's a lot of food and, and drinks and the only de- the only thing I, I dislike about a lot of that is it's not they're not very like inclusive to other people like my mom always feels super awkward at those yeah uh, not not now not much nowadays because she knows everyone in the Lebanese community now but like yeah I, she was she told me when she was like pregnant with me she was never invited to anything when they were having mm. events and stuff and it bothered her and I mean like people I don't I don't know what it was like before 9-11 I don't know if people didn't like disliked Arabs like they did after well, 9-11 there was a little of that only because in, in 1993 there was the first World Trade Center attack and um and to and and in terms of like my awareness of stuff like that, there was always like a little bit of an issue. Plus, we had the Gulf War and everything like that. So there was some anti-Arab, anti-Muslim sentiment, but it wasn't near to what happened after 9-11. After 9-11, you couldn't be even a little bit brown. You basically, it was like a, a period of time in which black people were disregarded as a threat because now we had Muslims and Arabs to be afraid of. Um, and you could see it like in the culture. I mean, even like you just said, you had a teacher that basically called you a terrorist thinking it wasn't a, a, acting like it wasn't a big deal and then being pissed at you for the rest of the year because he got in trouble for it. You know, it was yeah. so it had gotten it had gotten so comfort comfortable to be anti-Arab or anti-Muslim during that time that it was it was just ridiculous. And that's around the same time that we found out that my husband was actually half Arabic because we didn't like I from the time I met him when I was 15 in 1993 I had been asking him what race are you I know you're something you can't just be white and then I meet both of his white parents and I'm like what the fuck is going on like he must be adopted and they never told him or switched at birth or whatever and then his mom finally lets us know around senior year that he had a different father so I'm like okay now there's something in that father but it took another four years until she said that he was Arabic and even then she had the wrong country she said he was Kuwaiti and at that that's the time I was friends with in my my Syrian Lebanese friend and and so once they like they accepted him right away even though he was he was mixed and he didn't grow up around the Arabic culture they were like oh we got to get you some knowledge so that's when we started participating in all the events and eating all the food and you know I have a little bit of a of a um understanding of things of the culture because I was around it for so long but as an outsider and even eventually I got adopted by all the aunties they were always they were always really welcoming of me but it was cuz I was never a threat to marry any of their um you know nephews <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that because I already I already had my half a bit at home I didn't need it but that like that was a weird time because uh, once we realized he was Arabic or mixed with Arabic uh, even though he wasn't culturally Arabic or anything like that it made me very aware of of him wearing certain things when we traveled making sure he didn't have a full beard because all of a sudden he yeah. does become very Arab looking when he has a beard things like that so I wonder if since you since you grow up basically in a world that is entirely post 9-11 even though you're born earlier but you kind of don't start to form into a person until after it um 
I, I wonder how much of your understanding, like you said, there were moments where you were kind of bummed out about things. I wonder how much of your understanding about who you were as a mixed kid, like, did you get that you came from two different cultures? Did, was that really yeah. clear from you the whole time? Yeah, because I had the contrast of looking at my, you know, I had my mom's side of the family was, I mean, they were all, my uncle's Jewish, but they're, they're all like, they're all white. They're not really, pre- like, they don't, they all look white. They, they, they do, they all are very culturally, like, they don't practice really any religion. They're just not, and then. Are they my like dad's Northern Italians? Them, Is that why they are whiter? They're like Rome. They're like from the, a small village outside Rome. Okay. So it's like central, but, and they were like, my mom's grandma, who was like, my great grandma was alive for a large portion of my current life. And she was like the old school, stereotypical, like Italian woman that you would, you know, like black dress widows type. Yeah. Like, you know, tough old Italian woman who's always baking, even though she's like super old and should just be resting. You know what I mean? Like always trying to feed you always, always has cookies at the house and can't, you know, like always. Yeah. And she had dementia. So for the better part of my life that she was alive, she was, she didn't, I I was, you couldn't, I couldn't really learn anything from her. Uh, My dad's side of the family in their old age, my, his parents were all there and they were very like, he was, he was old, my grandfather, but he was trying to teach like that, you know? So I always knew. And because my, my cousins on my dad's side are a hundred percent Lebanese and they like my mom's side of the family, lives lives a certain way and they're all kind of similar in that regard and my dad's side of the family lives a certain way and they're all kind of the same in that regard but our our house was different like my parents wouldn't care who I brought home if I was in a relationship with somebody mm. if they were my dad would not care if they're not Lebanese my mom wouldn't care if they're not Italian they you know my aunts and uncles they might they, they would care I think um, and I'm the oldest of all the cousins but one so it's really hard to see how that's gonna go I don't have to really worry about who I bring home unless they're like a drug dealer or something like, you know, unless unless there's like obvious red flags that most parents would be concerned about. I really it's not like I have to worry. Like if I get attracted to somebody of a different race or a culture, I don't have to really worry about, you know, because my, you know, they did it with each other. I mean, right. So I always knew that things were different. And but it didn't really start to show until like, uh, pe- you know, people would say things like I my dad told me to shave. Before uh, we would go to the like travel, he always did. He, my dad's name, like my first name is Michael, and they did that on purpose. Um, when I was born, which is even before 9-11. So that I don't know what that says. But yeah, like I said, there was name. still some anti-Arab, anti-Muslim sentiment. It just wasn't to the degree. Yeah. So my mom picked the name and she went with Michael. My sisters are Natalie and Alexandra. We have like white people names but my dad's name is Tufik. And he I remember like I've had several conversations with him and he's like, I hate my name. I'm not going to change it, but I hate it because and I think oh, really? he probably went through more hardships than I I ever did. I mean, right. I had a, I had a few people who would make snide. I remember there were people on the uh, on the team that I was on in high school. They would say, you're Lesbanese. What is that? Like, what right. do you do there? You know, or my like that same teacher or other people would be like, you, you can't fly a plane. You know, you could never fly a plane. For the record, I'm a drone pilot. So, I mean, did your. Well, so your dad came here when he was pretty young to start for college or whatever. Where did he where did he end up? Like what part of the United States did he move? So my my dad's like history is a, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting story. It's kind of a sad one, though, too. When he my dad. Uh, so I was a hyper child. I wasn't out of the ordinary. A lot of children were like me, you know, but over there, uh, it's the way of life. As I understand it, the way it was told to me, it was different. And my mom made it sound like they kind of just didn't want to deal with it. So they my when my dad was 10, they shipped him off and he lived in a monastery for a few years yeah. to like behave like you know to calm down and behave but the way that my mom understands it from my aunts after they told the story he was not like a problem child he didn't do bad things he was just running around like a normal like child uh after that after a few years in the monastery, i think he spent like six years there and they would visit on holidays he oh my gosh he came here all by himself and he ended up in pittsburgh because he went to carnegie mellon um and then the pit so he came here for college and he came here younger he was 16 and he was bad at his english he was 
all by himself. Um, and he stayed for the opportunities that were available here that were not available back home. I mean, back home, he told me like stories of how there was all always like fighting outbreaking. He said like, you know, different groups of people from different countries would come and, and they would over different reasons. Like he told me one time on one particular occasion, there were Syrian soldiers who had like, you know, come into town and they were posting guards and they were shooting at, at some of the Lebanese citizens for something that the, I don't remember what, what the reason was, but he had to like, his mom had sent him to go buy food from the grocery store and, and, and he had to like, go through some back alleys to avoid that and so there were opportunities available here that were not there and he stayed here after school and eventually one by one everyone on his side of the, like his parents and sisters all ended up here uh, yeah. and they're still they're still in Pittsburgh um, Pittsburgh actually has a pretty big Lebanese community fun fact um, so that's how he like got here and he stayed here for the most part I think at this point he has spent most of his life in the United States not right. not where he was born and he didn't and, pick like an American sounding name as a as a backup or whatever for his... he never changed it he doesn't go by two feet he goes by two um okay yeah. but he um you know he never changed it but he never liked it and i i had heard him like growing up several times refer to certain people he didn't know like when we were traveling whatever he would say i'm french like i'm french you know that's oh that's, that was his he would say. yeah i mean so he would say he never changed his name but he would and he you know we had normal like not normal but i don't want to say they're normal because i think every, <laughs> every name is normal but contrary to what people were used to we had you had western quote, sounding names. yeah we had western sounding names um i only like i the only problems i've ever had were because of my last name right. uh, and it didn't like i don't i don't think it got to me like i feel like it should have or I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But yeah, I like, mean, it's an now. interesting thing to say that because I, as as a person who is like extremely constantly every day aware of my mixedness and and because I had to bounce between three different cultures in my in my own family, uh, when I hear that someone doesn't have a very um, that isn't as mixed behaving as I am, you know, basically I'm, I'm making my whole life out of being mixed with my shows and everything. When I talk to you or or people that have a similar upbringing, I'm always surprised. Like, I don't know how to understand your life as well as I do someone who maybe had more experiences like me because I'm like, how are you mixed? But you get to like function as not a not an, uh, an exotic or an other, you know, for the most part, it seems like you got to to be very uh, I don't know privilege except for when someone realized that you had a Middle Eastern sounding name. Yeah, and it's weird because I wouldn't say that it was watered down at all. I don't think they kept anything from us. I don't think that, you know, like the Lebanese culture was there. Mm -hmm. Like our family was there. People were teaching us things. And my sisters and I have always wanted to go there. But he my dad is actually terrified to go back. Oh, uh, really? So he hasn't been back since he came? No, he went he went back one time. Uh, I was in sixth grade and it was in 2006 when the Israeli soldiers were kidnapped by the Lebanese government. He went mm -hmm. there for his best friend's wedding. He was there for three hours and then bombs started dropping and he spent every second trying to get back after about three hours. Oh, wow. So he has been like, they are very against, like they are, they basically were like, unless the Department of State says it's a level one, which is not going to happen, then we're not allowed to go. However, I actually have plans to go in 2020, not to Lebanon, to Egypt, tentative plans, mm -hmm. because at this point I can kind of do you know, the decision isn't really there. It's not yeah. that I don't respect their opinion, but I think they're afraid. And I think I've always wanted to go there and experience the Middle Eastern culture for what it actually is. Right. And I'm now in a position to do so. You said you speak a little bit. Do you, do you feel conversational enough to be able to travel the Middle East without your father present? Um, so I can understand what he's saying. Um, but I like speaking back is rugged and grammar grammatically terrible. Right. Yeah. The uh, the trip is October of 2020, and once I like it's I'm going with. So I I have reached this point where um. Like I am, I don't have a serious relationship as much as I want one. I am fortunate enough to have like things financially okay, um, and I want to travel before a lot of people at, that I know have been saying that I should travel while I'm in this position. And then, of course, after you know, like when the time comes that I find somebody, you know, that'll happen too. But I should, I want to experience a lot that I didn't get to uh, growing up, like okay. with the so that like when I went on the trip last week, it was with a group of people at that dive shop. And I've decided I'm going to go with them to different places around the world, like oh, cool. not not like as often as I can afford. So 
they told me when I was over there that they're planning to do an Egypt 2020 trip. It's not Lebanon, but as a lone traveler who doesn't like who doesn't like Egyptian, the Egyptian language and the Lebanese language are very different. Yeah, the dialects are hardcore different. Yeah. So I wouldn't know it even if I was 100 percent with my Lebanese and no one on my family is going to go. I cannot get them to go to Lebanon. So this is as close as I can get. Uh, it's uh, incredibly different culture, but I think as a as a young traveler, it's a good first step. But they like he's afraid to go back since like he has a family and kids now because if something happens, I think the thought of something happening to him now that right you know he has people that are dependent on him. Well, I mean I'm not dependent on him anymore, but I still have my mom and my two younger sisters. That terrifies him, and it's it stopped him. And I I don't know if he has any regrets. He really doesn't talk about it, and I don't think he likes to. Uh, I have an uncle, though, who's 21 years younger than him. He's actually closer to age than, to me than he is to my dad, who did tell me very recently that if I wanted to go, he would go with me. Mm. And I trust him. Um, and my parents were very against that. But <laughs> it's not, you know, they, they, it's not that they have any prejudice against the culture. They're just worried about those That's like fair, random yeah. acts that you can't control. And like, I get it. But at the same time, I had people, you know, who are 100 percent white, you know, who have no like at least I could blend in in Lebanon and look, you know, if I had to. They, they were studying abroad over there and they think you know that people do it like so i want to do it too yeah but any of us that kind of come from um immigrant families you know we're sort of raised with whatever the fears and and baggage of of our family members so like my my grandmother even though i'm second generation american in terms of my grandmothers both of my grandmothers are are immigrants um my japanese grandmother grew up during world war ii so she has that idea of like scarcity and growing up in an occupied country and things like that. So there was always a kind of a fear. There was no speaking Japanese in front of people that we weren't related to um, because the military might deport her, even though she was a an American citizen and it had been here longer than she'd been in Japan. Um, the military kind of put this fear of deportation in her from a very er, from the early stages of her marriage. And so even by the time I come around, you know, 20, 30 years later, she still has that fear. And I can't get her to teach me Japanese and, and stuff like that. Uh, food, if it, if it was about to spoil, she would still eat it because wartime, you got to eat what's of it, you know, it's here, you got to eat it. Um, so you can tell like the way she raised my mother and, and by extension me, because my mother wasn't really a parent for most of my life. Like I know that I've ad- adopted some of her baggage or have some of the fears that she had only because that's what she raised me with. And I imagine to a degree, like you are an American kid, you're, you, you've never lived in an occupied country so you don't necessarily have the same kind of fears or that what seems maybe unfounded fears for you are extremely real and scary for them for well for your dad in particular probably it it, like I wouldn't discourage you from trying to explore that side. You would just have to like be aware that shit could go down at any time because even just knowing that you're American in some cases could be enough to cause. Yeah, and problems. his fears are not on. Like he told, or I, he never told me, but other people in the family told me that he had. He was the oldest, so he was you know if if and while his mom was taking care of the kids, his other siblings and his dad was at work. If something needed, if someone needed to go out and get something, it was him, and and he had seen. And I had I had been told, and this is like kind of graphic, so I don't know how that works on your show. But my my all the relatives had said like, yeah, he had seen like houses getting blown up. He had seen like women getting like raped in the street, and those are things that I could never fathom seeing just in the street here. And I know that like now, you know, that was so long ago for him. But those like seeing things like that semi frequently, it's like you know I could see why he doesn't want us to go. Like right. uh, But so I'm doing baby steps. I think I'd like to try you know egypt and then go with my uncle you know after that um maybe maybe after maybe they'll calm down after i go to egypt and come back (laughs) i know that the people at the shop were saying that american group trips they have to have egyptian armed security there um, yeah, I do. <laughs> so maybe that'll make him feel better. But because throughout even my life, I've always wanted to go to Egypt. I'm because I wanted to study Egyptology and all that kind of stuff. But um, when I was in high school and leading into college, there were a lot of attacks on American tour groups where like buses were bombed and tour groups at the at the uh, the Sphinx or the pyramids were attacked or, or and things like that. And so there, 
like I come from a culture that they were always drilling in fear of the Middle East, fear of the Middle East, fear of the Middle East. Um, but I think I think it's like anywhere in the world, everybody has their violence and their types of trauma. Well, yeah, and, and it's like not to cut you off, but you there's a, like nowadays in America, there's a chance you get hit, caught in a mass shooting. Right. Like, yeah. Just Everybody's like you have, it. there's a chance that you get bombed on a bus in the middle, like you know. And I I'm in computers now, but I studied architecture for two years in school, and I studied a lot of Egyptian architecture. And they're actually going, they're not even going to like the big, they're not going to Cairo or Alexandria. They're going to Siwa, which is most people have not heard of it. I have heard of it, and I did a lot of. I I am fascinated with that city, and I've always wanted to go there, and I never thought I would be able to. When they said that, as soon as they said Siwa, I was like, sign. And when that, it's not available to put your like. <laughs> name in for like to reserve it you usually have to give them a small like down like they're expensive trips but right. so far away and you don't have to pay it all at once you pay it over time you just have to give them a couple hundred dollars to reserve your name like to hold your spot and then you could pay as you want over time I'm like you're going to Siwa you as soon as that becomes available for a booking I want it and I want to go and I want to like it was fascinating to me because yeah that I, I did a lot of studying on this so but like it, the end game I would love to go and see Lebanon because my relatives have gone with their kids who are younger than like mm-hmm. my, my aunt and uncle went with their six and like five-year-old you know and you, they came back all right like it came, to go back to where your people come from it, it just makes sense that you would have that desire yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me and I want to see and I want to have I want to eat the food I mean my aunts and uncles they can make the food up pretty authentically but I want to I want to eat it there I want to see right. like I, you know I've heard that they have beautiful mountains and nice beaches and I'm not you know like in, in town I just want to see I just want to see it you know what I mean like it's it's so it's just a way of life that I want to experience that I will not ever be able to unless I'm there right and nowadays I'm more aware of the especially after talking to you a bunch of times on our podcast of the like I'm more I mean I was always proud of it but I'm more like like in tune with it I guess I would say mm-hmm. it's like I mean in recent years I haven't really faced any sort of and I never like I didn't I, I told you before like I didn't get a lot of like I got, there's a few things here and there I, the last time I think anything really happened was when there was that like the Muslim ban scare Thing. Yeah, and a lot of people uh, at college were like, "Are you are your dad gonna get deported? Are you gonna leave?" And I'm like, "No, that no, I'm not it's going like, to." Leave. Well, been a citizen by this. Yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah, my dad has been a citizen for a long time. Uh, and the other time, actually, which was shocking, I went into I was. So I'm a drone pilot and I was doing a job for somebody in the Shenandoah area. And I we I had to be there for sunrise and it's like two hours away. So I remember like four and I drove over and it's like the middle of Virginia. And he was like, the guy I was doing it for, he was a coworker, a nice guy, but he was like, all right, let's meet at this McDonald's, discuss the plan, grab some breakfast, I'll buy it and then we'll go. And I get there first and I walk in and there is a just, they're all the same type. They're all like large, old, overweight white men. And I walk in and I didn't really, like, they're all staring at me for like a long time and they, they won't take their eyes off me. And I didn't, I didn't understand really why at first. And the other guy got there and he's the one, he's, his wife is uh, a Pakistani woman that I mentioned at the, uh, he's white. And she's Pakistani and he was like mm. it's because you have like darker hair a little bit darker skin and that you're like not from around here they can tell so they're like and I'm like that's so bizarre like mm. and because so I'm you not, don't walk around with a whole lot of awareness of whether or not people other you no because I've never I never like either I just never noticed it or I really like never had to and, mm. you know it was like I, I I guess I think a lot of those I, I think looking back on it now a lot of those like jokes that people were making in school about like the last name I think I had just got so used to it because when you're young and I was very impressionable when your teacher is saying it it feels normal like when I told my like it didn't feel I I I don't like I didn't understand necessarily so much Do you know what I'm trying to say it's like hard yeah like when authority figures are 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 saying it then it feels like it's an okay thing and so even if you do feel uncomfortable you'd probably internalize that and be like what's wrong with me that I feel uncomfortable the teacher just said this it has to be okay yeah, and you're also. I'm also in high school. It's it was an all guys school, so there's a lot of pressure to like not be up. You know, 
Right. You get, you get a lot of that in an all guys school. You get a lot of that like toxic masculinity where you feel like you have to you have to step up. You know, you can't be you know. And so you just brush it off and you keep going. And looking back now, I can see the problems and all that. But back yeah. then, not it was not like a problem, or, or I didn't know I didn't realize what was like. I didn't realize that. So you don't feel like you were traumatized at all by some of the treatment no. that you received growing up? No, I like I would never claim that because I've had a very like I've had a good a good time you know like I've, I've had i've been fortunate enough like i'll be the first to say it I've, I've been fortunate enough to be blessed with good experiences for the most part there are people out there of, of various cultures and ethnicities who are getting it a lot worse than i did um yeah you know like even some like the lebanese people uh, various races like you know i i've been like I'm, I'm good and there have been a few problems but i know there are a lot of people out there who've had it a hundred times worse so the way i've always looked at it was like i i want to learn as much about it as i can and be involved in this community as much as i can but i i don't really claim i, I don't claim the like you know i'm not going to claim like prejudice or anything ever because it's really never it's really never happened and it's, it almost feels like it's not my place like there there are right. people who are like having like serious like serious prejudice issues and, there's something in one of the various times that I've been on your show uh, with you and Brandon that I could really tell it, it, it's why I'm so curious about you and why I wanted you to come on the show is because there's moments of what seems like lack of awareness of uh, of people of color things that that you do that it's it's comical because it's so innocent um, and I'll explain I'll explain what it is so what was it that you you got some you got a flamethrower right <laughs> So so we're on the show, we're on Why So Serious, and Brandon makes you tell how everybody, tell everybody how you got your new toy and it was a flamethrower, and you were like, I'll bring it over to your house and you can play with it. And me and Devin and Brandon, and I don't remember if Stephanie had to have been on that time, (laughs) all of us go, whoa, like, (laughs) like... And then Brandon's like, don't come to my house with it. I'll come to your house and I will not touch it the whole time. And you were just like, no, it's fine. And it takes a minute before you realize, hey, all the black people are telling you that probably a big black dude holding a a flamethrower is not a good idea. And you're just like, oh, it's one of those moments. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I can't claim like certain things because I don't know. I've been I had a pretty I wouldn't say sheltered, but kind of kind of sheltered. Like it's it, and I like I don't get it, but they know I don't get. Like I don't mean any 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 like yeah. harm. And you're good natured in that you take it when we kind of make fun of you for it. <laughs> I, that's fine though too. It's that's part of the charm of like my role on the show though too. Like and you know yeah. the oblivious white guy is a card and we can play it very well. Like it's yeah. it's a role. I mean not a card, but <laughs> like until I met them, like it was it was always something I was proud of, but it was never something that. I like I never would have claimed a mixed race role. like per, like I would never have claimed that for myself until I met like all of you and I feel good about it like but I I don't have the same hardships that other people have had mm-hmm. and that's good for me but the way I look at it now it's like all right the the goal here is to is to like diffuse the those stare like you know show people that people there are good people and there are bad people everywhere like you know my dad my dad grew up where in, in, in an area where there was a lot of religious conflict but he doesn't hate muslims now now or ever and he, right. he i have friends that are muslim he doesn't care like if i wanted to be in a relationship with one they wouldn't care right but so you there said are your father who, converted for your mother though but then you also said your mother's not very religious so did no, he, dad con- he convert away mom, from catholicism no my mom is very religious oh like she is go- but, but at the same time, so my mom is really Catholic. She goes to church every weekend, but she was, there are two types of Catholics. There are a lot. There are like more, like my mom was always the like, all right, I'm Catholic, but if you're going to have sex, you use a condom, like you'd be smart about your, you know what I mean? Like you, okay, they, so they she's were, at least a little bit progressive. She's a progressive Catholic. Uh, and she's not, I, she's not like preachy either. So like there were a lot of like, so Brandon, I met Brandon at Catholic University of America and I largely have a negative opinion of the overall experience. I went there cause they have a really good, well-known architecture program. I ended up switching to computer science. Brandon and I worked a lot of events together where you have these like people who are, I remember very, very clearly. And he was with me. <laughs> you could ask him about this. We're sitting, 
sitting there and they have the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and this woman raises her hand and she's like, my friend is being assaulted by, they're doing a Q&A and they were like, my friend is in a domestic violence relationship. You know, he uh, is, is hitting her and she wants a divorce, but she's really Catholic. What does she, what should she do? And the guy was like, wow. no, nah, if there was once love in this marriage and love can be found again. And Brandon and I are sitting what? in the back like, oh. but my mom is, <laughs> you know, if someone's hitting my sister, she's, you know, she's not going to be that type, you know what I mean? Or anyone. So, right. but when my dad converted, he converted from Maronite Catholic to Roman Catholic. So, oh, okay. the, the, so it's not a big still thing. had to go through a conversion process, even though the basic it's tenets very, are it's, it's a very, it's not a hard conversion process. I think he had to like study up on his, like the, the Roman Catholic, you know, version. I don't want to say version, but you know what I mean? Like, and I don't know what the official, like Set. what you do is, but he doesn't like, he doesn't go to Matt. He's, he goes on Christmas and Easter and that's like he I don't think I don't think religion is a very big part uh, was a very big part ever of him and I don't know if that's because of some of the things he saw or one time I, I often wonder if he actually like even believes and I asked him once and he said yeah of course I do but I don't know if that's just what he would you know what my mom would want him to say or if like so I, I don't but he's not like my mom is very active in the church my dad is watching football on Sundays you know what I mean like he's Got it. but like I don't even remember where I was going with what I said before you were talking about the Catholic University and and you don't have a very favorable opinion. I asked you about the, your father converting and stuff like that. Oh, well, yeah. Well, the, I don't want to get in. I mean, Brandon and I could go on and on and on about a lot of similar <laughs> that. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want, I mean, I got my diploma from them, so I think I can say whatever I want at this point, but there are a lot <laughs> of things wrong there, but my, yeah, so he converted, but they're not, they're not like old school cat. Like my, my, like my mom is, is a Catholic and she believes and she, that's where she like, you know, that's her belief system, but she doesn't like, she's a, yeah, progressive Catholic is a good word. And my dad is, is kind of, is the same for the most part. Like he doesn't really, like he's not super practicing, but he's like, they, they kind of handle the situations as a team and, and, and they handle them reasonably. I think with things that have happened with me in the past and with my sisters, we've never had, like, like I said, we've never had any serious problems. We've been fortunate in that regard, but you know, I don't have to worry about like, for example, there's a lot of old fashioned Catholics who, if you don't bring home another Catholic or someone who's not willing to convert, then that's a problem. That's not so much a problem for me. Like, I don't really have to worry about that. And I'm, I'm happy about that. One question I do want to ask you on this subject, just because it is a little bit different than my experience having a best friend that was um, Syrian and Lebanese. Uh, for her, from the time we were 21 or whatever, her family was trying to get her a husband. And whether that meant good boys from good families that they knew locally, or if someone had to come from back home to meet her and things like that. So throughout the years, I would kind of like spy on her dates. I'd like go to the restaurants that she was being taken to and stuff like that and checking out the dudes or whatever. I was like, um, always doing that. And occasionally I would go to one of them. Like there was, there was some where it was just like, you have to have someone with you. And so I'd be, I'd be there or whatever. And I always noticed that like with the boys, they, they, they would tell them to settle down, but they weren't as hardcore about pressuring them to settle down the way they were with the girls. And so as we got older and we got into our thirties, it was starting to be like, okay, you gotta be, you gotta get serious and settle down. What's happening here, right? Do you, being mixed and having your aunts and things like that still here or here in the States, do you ever feel that sense of pressure of like, even though you don't have to marry, you know, a Lebanese girl or or whatever, do you get pressure from that side of the family to either go back home and find a nice girl or meet somebody nice that, that they know the family of? I don't get pressure from my parents, but my aunts and uncles, uh, when I bring, when I've brought girls home, like I was one time I was dating this 100%, she was Irish and I brought her home and there was a family like thing. And they were like, why is she, why is she white? Like, why isn't she like Lebanese or what are you doing? Mm. And I, well, you know, like I said, my parents don't care, but they, you know, I'm single now and I'll go visit them and they're like, well, we got it. You come with us. We'll such, you know, there, there are a lot of Lebanese people in my family, like who have, they went back to Lebanon for like a month with the intention of finding a wife and they found one and they bring her back yep. and that, that happens. Like, <laughs> That's it sounds exactly weird, what's happened to some of my friends. But it's happened. My parents would kill me if I did that. No, they would. Uh, Oh, so they've yeah, really like, broken the mold. Like your dad has really kind of broken away from the constraint, the marriage constraint. Well, honestly, 
I don't think they would trust that. Like, you know, they're very like, like they're very protective of myself and my sisters. And I think they, you know, but like my, I have a cousin, my cousin is 27. She's, I'm the second oldest cousin. And she's, she was, so my uncle and my aunt, my my dad's sister um, had, had her first and she had uh, a rougher childhood because my uncle wanted a firstborn son. And there's, Mm -hmm. we like my, my parents, my dad does not get along with all of his siblings right now. And like the ones he is talking to, we like, we're talking to, he's got two sisters and a brother. The brother's always been, they've always had a pretty good relationship, but the sisters, like the one he's talking to right now, he didn't talk to her for eight years because there was a lot of animosity between my dad's sister's husband and my dad, because (laughs) my, my, you know, my uncle really wanted a firstborn son. My mom told me all this growing up. Like he would, he would be really mean to me when I was younger because he, my mom was like, he was so consumed with jealousy because of this, like, in the Lebanese culture where you need to have a firstborn son. So I'm born. Like, he has a girl as his first child, and he's the first one to have a child in the family, but she's a girl. And then shortly after, a couple years, I pop out, and all the Lebanese freak out because someone has a firstborn kid. So my grandparents, I was, you know, all the attention was on me for a long time, and that really, like, that pissed them off. And and so we're all, like, we're good with them now, and we have a relationship, but, like, there, there was... You know, she is 27 now and they're really pushing her to get married and and she wants it, too. But she's just not, I don't I think she's conflicted now with like, all right, well, I don't I have to do this quickly. And, and she's not like she's kind of just trying to make something happen. And it's just kind of too fast. And I don't, it's just not working out right now. Mm. Me like I mean, I'm, they <laughs> they they don't want me to get married until like late 20s, early 30s. And I mean, I get it. Like my dad didn't get married until he was 33. My mom was 20. He was, he, I think he was 31. They're eight years apart. So and he's older. So my mom was in her early 20s, but my dad was in his late 30s. And they don't mm. not have to follow the same path as them, but like they're not, they want me like, my, my mom's always asking if I have a girlfriend, but she's in no rush to see me get married anytime soon uh, for a couple of years at least. I so. see. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, we are coming to the end of our discussion. So I want to ask you the only question that I have pre-planned for every episode is what do you even though you're kind of being forced into thinking of your mixedness through me constantly asking questions um what do you love about being mixed um I like the open mind that I've developed uh at you know or have been I guess bestowed upon by my parents that my relatives or friends and sim- like who are 100% always get to have. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the obvious answer would be like the, the food and stuff, but the more like intimate answer I would say would be like, I have me and my siblings have, you know, get to have a more open outlook on, on different things of life that my cousins and my aunts and uncles don't share. And I think it's because of the influence from two different worlds when they collide. Mm. So, I mean, it's kind of a cheesy answer, I guess, but that's, that's always what I come back to when I, I mean, I compare myself right to a lot because we're the outliers in the family. We're the only ones who are not hundred percent. So I can look at my situation and my experiences and compare it to all my cousins on both sides. And I've had, you know, it's just more, I have more to offer more to draw from experience wise, like than they would. And I like that. Uh, Before we wrap all the way up, though, why don't you tell everybody about the show and how to find you if you want to drop your social media handles, all that kind of stuff? Oh, well, yeah, I'm on. I'm a co-host on Why So Serious with Brandon and Devin and heavily, heavily uh, joined by Charmaine as well. It's been fantastic. Uh, we've been doing it for like a year and we're on all, all everywhere you can get your uh, your podcast it's, uh, I'm not used to Brandon's usually the one that does this so I've been caught off guard here uh, we're on Spotify <laughs> Stitcher Apple Google Music I think that yeah that's where you can find it we talk all about superheroes and stuff though so if that's what you're into I'm sure we'll be uh, um, you know we'll be we'll be your one stop shop for all your all your nerdness yeah, yeah you, you guys don't just get into comics like you get into wrestling and stuff like that like my my comic book show is is like blackness and comics, but yours is like comics and wrestling and TV shows, like a whole general nerdery. And yeah, and it gets into like social issues too. Everyone, like we, you know, they we draw on that um, yeah. when it's relevant. Um, but you know, so that yeah, that's what we do. And uh, yeah, really, wow, Brandon would be so upset with me if he heard me just advertise our show right now. <laughs> I did such a bad job of that. I'm not. I've heard him say it exactly the same for a year over. 
over a year now, and I, I, I should be able to totally repeat it, but I, wow, my bad. But yeah, that's what we, we all do. have different strengths. <laughs> Mine is not speaking. <laughs> that's it. That's us. So. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining me. I do appreciate it. Sounds good. Thank you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.